Praise the Lord. You are listening to Scripture Unleashed. Praise the Lord, everyone. My name is Jacob, and you are listening to Scripture Unleashed. Uh, I'm here with Anthony. Hello. And Joe. Praise the Lord. Uh, unfortunately, this week, due to some scheduling errors, uh, Brother Seth is not able to make it with us. Um, if you don't know what Scripture Unleashed is, Scripture Unleashed is a podcast that follows the bread Bible chart throughout the year. And we basically go into the scriptures that you're going to read this upcoming week, and we pull out interesting things of note, uh, things that maybe make the, the, the word kind of come alive a little bit more, help you understand some things. So in this episode, we are going to go through 2 Kings chapters 14 through 25, James chapters 1 through 5, Psalms 72, and Proverbs chapters 10 through 12. Now, please remember that if your pastor teaches on topics of conviction differently than what you hear here today, you need to listen to your pastor. Now, if what your pastor teaches doesn't align with what the Word of God is saying, then you need to have a conversation with your pastor. So with that, guys, let's talk a little bit. We're going to spend the, this first half in Second Kings, and let's talk a little bit about this man named Hezekiah. I like his name. Yeah, Hezekiah. I know. That's, <laughs> honestly, I, I it means Yahweh strengthens. Yeah, I'm, I honestly want that to Yahweh be my first uh, firstborn son's name if I ever have kids. There Talk my wife into that, whoever she is. So, <laughs> one thing that's interesting is that we see here just before we we come to understand who Hezekiah is, we see his dad. His dad is Ahaz, and he is, mm. as I mentioned before the show, he is actually kind of the the Ahab of Judah. He is yeah. he is the most wicked king that Judah ends up having, maybe besides Manasseh, and that's Hezekiah's son. But one thing of note is that through Ahaz, Judah becomes a tribute to Assyria. Basically, they have to pay Assyria money in order to keep Assyria from destroying them. And... When Hezekiah comes on the scene, he does this massive reform. He's, he is, in my opinion, uh, besides Christ, he is my most favorite king mentioned in the Bible. His, his zeal for God is so astounding. All the things that he does, several things that he does, he goes through almost immediately. And we, it, it's kind of hard to understand exactly why Hezekiah does this. You know, he's raised by Ahaz. He's 25 years old when he becomes king, which means that he lived in idolatry for 25 years. Yeah. And so the question, you know, it, it makes you wonder exactly what what happened in his life to make him follow the Lord, follow Yahweh so devoutly as to completely change Judah during this time. Right. Right. It's really hard to really hard to know. Yeah, it'd be nice to know. If you look, his mother's name is Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. And it's believed that Zechariah was the high priest, okay, uh, or at least was at one point. He might have been very elderly by this time and wouldn't be the high priest anymore. So it could be that he was taught from his grandfather or, or from his mother who Yahweh was. And through that, I know there's a, there's a fictitious 
set of books out there. It starts out with the gods and kings, and the author writes about King Hezekiah, takes the scripture, and then takes historical fact, and then, you know, has to add her own, like, dialogue and stuff into it. It supposedly gives a very accurate account of some of the things that happen in Hezekiah's life. So that's an interesting book if you want to read that. Mm. Several things of note, I guess, with Hezekiah is, one, later on in scripture, you hear about the Pool of Siloam. He actually is the one that, that orchestrated its creation. After the northern tribes fell, the Assyrians came back to take Judah because he had stopped paying tribute to them. He'd stopped paying money to them. And so they came back and they were going to overthrow Judah. And they basically destroyed all of the cities except for Jerusalem. Because they were coming, Hezekiah had his men go down and take the Gihon Spring and divert it, basically cover it up and had a shaft built to come up into Jerusalem because Jerusalem didn't have its own fresh water source. They had cisterns and relied on rain or going down and carrying water up mm-hmm. back up. And so this was done in order to keep you know, water in Jerusalem during a siege and also to keep the Assyrians from getting water. Mm-hmm. Oh, I have asked the people the question, is there any such thing as a good rebellion? <laughs> what do you guys think? Oh. Because <laughs> here the Bible says that, that Hezekiah in Second Kings chapter 18, verse 7, the Lord was with him and he prospered whithersoever he went and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and served him not. <laughs> Hezekiah was rebellious. Mm-hmm. No, just... Uh, <laughs> You know, the Bible is very clear that rebellious is a bad thing, you know, in the sense of if it's rebelling against God, it's absolutely a bad thing. But but here Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria, and, and this was a good thing. The Lord was with him. But, you know, I think this would like if you're rebelling against something that's not pleasing to God, like, no, I'm not going to do that. And rebellion just yeah. means not obeying certain authority or whatever. So, so there can be yeah. a good rebellion. Just make sure that, that if you are rebellious, make sure it's <laughs> against the devil. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I know it's kind of a, it's kind of a a thing and you see it later when we get into Esther. I think that's in like several weeks from now. Mordecai refuses to bow down um, to anybody but God. And it's the same thing with Daniel whenever we get into that. When he doesn't, you know, he doesn't bring his needs to the king. He goes instead into prayer like he always had done. It's actually a very Jewish thing. And really, it should be a really Christian thing that they don't serve man they don't bow to man mm-hmm. um right. they bow to god they worship god serve god that's that's really i believe that's kind of the reason why the lord blessed him so much when he rebelled against the assyrians because he wasn't subjecting himself to man but unto god above right very interesting i guess uh, another thing of, of note uh, which you'll read through this is hezekiah gets an illness of some sort um Corona. It, yeah corona yeah (laughs) well i don't know because it's because so i don't know exactly uh what it is it says that it's a boil on his on his leg i know that that author that i mentioned says that he was in a fire of some sort and it it got infected like he got burned and it got infected Mm. whatever Mm. whatever really it could have been but he was going to die he you know, God tells him, get your stuff in order. You're about to die. Right. Yeah. But Hezekiah being the fact that he had lived for God all of his life, he turns the wall and he begins to weep and to cry out to God and God heals him. Yeah. Basically has Isaiah make a poultice out of figs and rub it onto there and it heals him somehow. I don't know how the figs heal him, but whatever God did with it. 
it really kind of shows, you know, if you live a faithful life, God's going to be faithful to you. Absolutely. You know, you know if, if you live a life standing by the word, standing in truth, that God will be faithful with you as well. Mm-hmm. Anthony, you were going to add something in there. I was just kind of digging a little bit via the interweb about some Jewish resources. Anyways, according, according to the Talmud, the disease came about because of a dispute between him and Isaiah over who should pay whom a visit and over Hezekiah's refusal to marry and have children. Although in the end, he married Isaiah's mm-hmm. daughter. So I've found that kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course his, his son Manasseh was born in this 15 year period too, because yeah. he was 12 when right. he succeeded Hezekiah. Yeah. So. That was that, Which, found that pretty interesting. See, his wife's name was Hephzibah. Wow. One thing I noted is that he actually, if I remember correctly, is the only king to not have a harem, which basically would be a bunch of concubines and wives. Mm. He only had one wife. Mm. Oh, wow. I like him better already. So, yeah, I guess that's that's kind of a transition right there, whether Hephzibah is Isaiah's daughter or not. I don't think she's ever mentioned in the book of Isaiah that I know of other than maybe talking about Hezekiah, but I don't know that she's mentioned as Isaiah's daughter. So that's, that's, that's kind of right. interesting. You yeah, said the Talmud? Um, yeah, yeah. That would be what, oral? oral? Yeah, kind maybe, of oral. Well, I, mean, I, have, I have a, oral. yeah, I have a 22 volume set of the Talmud behind me here. So I don't know. I don't know where it would be at in there. Fascinating. But, okay. Maybe I'll try and find it someday. So to kind of transition a little bit, we'll talk a li- just a little bit about Manasseh. Hezekiah's son, obviously, the next heir in line, 12 years old when he takes the throne. But he does evil in the sight of the Lord. In fact, Hezekiah went so far as he destroyed all of the high places. He even destroyed the brass serpent that was on the pole because people were worshiping it. I mean, he did a complete about face with Judah, brought it back to God. And then his son Manasseh, who's 12 years old, more than likely didn't have a whole lot of time with his dad. It might be that he was, you know, angry with God because because of, you know, his dad dying when he was 12. But Manasseh basically becomes one of the most evil kings in Judah, brings back all of the the evil and wickedness that his dad had had stopped. Mm-hmm. And that continues on through his son Ammon into his grandson, Josiah. And Joe, you want to talk a little bit about Josiah there? Yeah, Josiah, very interesting that he became a king when he was eight years old. I can't even imagine that. You know, most of us don't pay much attention <laughs> to eight-year-olds. <laughs> but, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's, at least, I mean, I, you know, I pay attention to him in the sense of, uh, you know, tease him and, <laughs> or, you know, get yeah. candy maybe. But, but you know, as far as him being my king, uh, <laughs> you know, that's kind of hard to imagine. But, yeah, but Josiah was eight years old when he began to reign. Um, of course, this would be the great-grandson of, of Hezekiah. What's interesting about, about Josiah is the Bible says he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Of course, his dad and his grandfather yeah. certainly didn't, but, yeah. but Josiah did. And, uh, you know, where he got that from is very interesting. You know, I don't know. But anyway, he, he sent Hilkiah, who was a high priest, to uh, repair the temple. And Hilkiah... In the meantime, ends up finding the law in the temple, uh, and he gave it uh, to Shaphan, and he read it. And Shaphan uh, ends up showing Josiah the, the the law, the book that they found in the temple, and and he read it before the king. And 
uh, when Josiah heard the words of the book, he rent his clothes, the Bible says, and because he realized how far that they were straying from the law and, you know, how far that they had come, I guess, or, you know, even though he had a heart to serve God, which is very important because he was presented with truth here. And, you know, he was like, oh, my goodness, you know, we've been doing this all wrong. And he said, go ye inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah concerning the words of this book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is kindled against us, because our fathers have not hearkened unto the words of this book, who do according unto all that is written concerning us. Very interesting. You know, I've always liked that story. I like to think about, you know, there's lots of people in our world today that, you know, maybe they, they're very sincere in what they're doing, but yet they are not correct because, you know, we know that you can be sincere, but sincerely wrong. And, you know, sometimes people stray. Anytime we get away from the word of God, you know, that's, uh, we're on very dangerous ground. And when things just get passed down, you know, from generation to generation, you know, we can get way far away from God's word. Mm -hmm. Um, And it seemed like, you know, that's certainly what had happened here. And, And Josiah didn't even have godly parents or anything. But, you know, as soon as he, as soon as he saw this, it was very quick to, to uh, correct it, he said, great is the Lord's anger toward us um, because yeah. of, you know, because of how far we have strayed. Yeah. I think it's very interesting, you know, Josiah's attitude toward toward the law. He took it very, very seriously. And uh, I think, you know, it's a good lesson for us, too, that, that we do need to take God's word very, very seriously. Yeah. Yeah, I love that he took God's word to heart. Just, you know, he, he let God's word be applied to him. I think that's a struggle sometimes, you know, people get maybe a little too casual with, you know, preaching and, and even the word of God and they don't, mm-hmm, they forget right. to act on it. The part is he heard and he felt that conviction and then he did something about it. So I'm just an yeah, awesome character right. in the word of God. The Bible even talks about, you know, God is with them that, that tremble at his word. <laughs> it's, mm. it's a serious thing. Yes, it is. Did you, I want to ask you guys, did you guys notice something in verse 7 of chapter 22 there that happened in our last week's reading as well? Hmm. So for you readers, if you go over there and you look, after Josiah tells the people to, or sends Hilkiah, the high priest, to rebuild the temple, he basically gives money. It says, and let them deliver it into the hand of the doers of the work that have the oversight of the house of the Lord and let them give it to the doers of the work, which is in the house of the Lord to repair the breaches of the house unto carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hew stone and to repair the house. Howbeit there was no reckoning made with them of the money that was delivered into their hand because they dealt faithfully. These men, these carpenters, these builders and masons and whatnot, basically they gave this money to them and said, rebuild the house and not, According to this, not one of them stole from that. Not one of them did anything mm. wrong with that. And we see this exact same thing happen in Second Kings chapter 12. Jehoash desires to rebuild the temple. And it's 12 oh, yeah. verse 15. You know, they give they basically drill a hole into the top of a of a chest. And anybody that comes in ends up putting money into it. And then that money gets is given to these workmen and it says how be it there were not made 
for the house of the Lord, bowls of silver, snuffers, basins, trumpets, any vessels. Verse 14, I'll just jump down. But they gave that to the workmen and repaired therewith the house of the Lord. Moreover, they reckoned not with the men into whose hands they delivered the money to be bestowed on workmen, for they dealt faithfully. Wow. So. Oh, contracts. Yeah. Yeah. Like they like they didn't they <laughs> yeah. didn't check up on them. They, I mean, I'll, they probably, you know, came up with, yeah, how's the work going? Oh, pretty good. We got this, this, this and this done, you know, but they didn't ask him about, you know, hey, how are you spending that money? You making sure that money's all going to the house of the Lord. These men dealt faithfully. It's so simple, but it's kind of like, you know, like blows your mind kind of thing. It's like, wow, like, huh. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, when scripture says, or my pastor always teaches when scripture repeats itself, it's important. You know, maybe this is a lesson to us all that when, you know, when funds are placed into our hands to do the work of the Lord, that we need to make sure to do it faithfully, take that money oh, and yeah. use it. Absolutely. You know, it seems, yeah, like for us, you know, it seems like, the, duh, of course, you know, but if you get money, you know, hey, go buy this. And then you go there and you see a candy bar right there. You know, it's only a dollar, but you refuse. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Got to be faithful. Well, that's very interesting. All right, listeners. Uh, I think with that, I, I apologize for our kind of Russian where we're, uh, couple days off in our schedule here so we're trying to get this all in but uh you stick around we're going to jump into the book of james after the break so we'll see you on the other side hey listeners welcome back we are going to jump into the book of james uh in your reading this week and we're going to take a look at chapter 1 verse 27 to begin here Chapter 1, verse 27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. He talks about, verse 25, But whoso looketh into the law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. And then he tells you exactly what it means to be a doer of the work in verse 27, talking about pure religion and undefiled. Basically, our, our duty, and that was the duty, the same thing that the Jews were supposed to do throughout, uh, throughout the Old Testament, was to help the fatherless and to help the widows. Right. You know, it, it, was, it was to stick up for those that mm-hmm. had no voice. It was to stand up for those that didn't have any help. You know, it was, right. to, it was to help. And then, to, you know, and he, and he adds, and to keep himself unspotted from the world, to keep the sin from, of the world from off of you, to, to stay pure, as it were. I, I think it's very interesting. It, it just kind of goes with, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, maybe. But, you know, this is very, very important. This is close to the heart of God. The most vulnerable people, you know, if you're helping somebody out that, you know, like the fatherless and the widows, this really means something to God. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, 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 you know, you see this throughout the scripture that this is very close to the heart of God. You know, a couple of weeks ago in our in our reading in Psalms, I was actually going to ask you guys the question, you know, does God have favorites or does, you know, can you obtain the favor of the Lord? I think you can. I think mm-hmm. there's some people that God just likes because of their actions. And and we know this, of course, because there's people like that in Scripture, like David. You know, there's people that God yeah. just yeah. just likes. Like, God loves everybody, but then there's people, I think, that God just likes them. And I would say that this definitely, mm-hmm. uh, because this is the most unselfish thing that, that you can do, mm-hmm. is to help the widows 
and the fatherless to take, you know, take a fatherless kid under your wing, you know, take care of them, help them, get them set up in life, you know, both help them both spiritually and, you know, with living necessities, maybe help them get a job, things like that. Mm -hmm. This is very important. And we see this in our in our churches, you know, church is the greatest thing ever, because, you know, I, 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 you know, I can speak for our church here in Dickinson. You know, the widows and the fatherless certainly don't go unnoticed. They they get taken care of, mm-hmm. you know, but this this is a call from God. This is pure religion. And then, yeah. like you mentioned, Jacob, also to keep ourselves unspotted from the world, not getting involved in, in worldliness and carnality. Mm-hmm. Very interesting that, you know, James would say this is pure religion because, you know, there's also a whole bunch of other scriptures. We know our doctrine's got to be sound, all that stuff. But, you know, this seems to be pretty important. It's honestly, it's like you were saying, you know, you see it throughout scripture time and time again, you see this in Old Testament law. You see this in the prophets in, you know, just time and time again, he gets so mad. I believe it's in Isaiah, one of the chapters talking about fasting, what a real fast is. One of the Mm -hmm. things in there is helping the fatherless and the widows. That's part right. of, that's part of what a real fast is. He's equating fasting and also the Sabbath day together and saying that, you know, basically you're fasting from your own works, from your own selfishness to help others during that time, which for us today, you know, we are filled with the Holy Ghost. And because of that, we have a Sabbath every day, a day of rest every day, which means that we're right. supposed to rest from our works every right. day and to take up the cause of those around us to help other people to take up God's work, if you will. Right. One thing also with this, and, and this is, I kind of wish Seth was here because he would go on with it. But if you notice there in the beginning, it kind of gives a jab to the Trinity doctrine. It says an undefiled before God and the father. Mm-hmm. So that means now, <laughs> that means that means now there's a fourth, a fourth member of the Godhead because God apparently is separated from the Father according to yeah. their belief. <laughs> and what's interesting is you see that several times. Yeah, like you know Jesus is on the right hand of God. Yeah, but I thought God was the Trinity, so Jesus sure. is outside of the Trinity. Yeah, right. <laughs> so it's like so. So you see that several times in Scripture where it doesn't make sense. It's like oh. So this is God over here, which is the Trinity. <laughs> here's Jesus, or here's the Father outside of that. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. exactly. It's like, <laughs> okay, guys, you guys got any more on pure religion? When I, when I read that verse in James one twenty seven, pure religion, in my mind, I think of purity. I think of pure religion, mm-hmm. clean, innocent. And so in my mind, it's almost like a little kid. It just pure, right. you're, you're, you have pure intentions. You have... You're just innocent. It's not, you're not helping anybody mm, yes. to get a pat mm. on the back. This isn't like a calculated religious program, you know, to, to look good in the community yeah. or something, you know, that, I mean, that's just sickening, but you're just, you're just doing it just for the right. sake of pure good. You, you just do it because it's just in your heart to be Christ-like, to be mm-hmm. godly, right. to, to love on people. And I, that's, yeah. I guess that's what I think. Oh, of yeah. I read no, that I verse. think that's absolutely right, Anthony. And, uh, you know, we could talk about the scribes and the Pharisees here. You know, what you mentioned about doing good just to look good in your community. I think, you know, looking mm. good to our community is pretty important. You know, I believe in having a good testimony and all that. Yeah. But if it's right, I know that. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. But, you know, if, if, if it's forced or just, mm-hmm. you know, you're doing it for the praise of other people, if it's not from compassion for people, then I'd say, you know, it's vain at that yeah. point. And, you know, we see this in Scripture as well, too. But, yeah, it's got to come from pure motives. Yeah. Yes, which, you know, honestly, I, I, I feel like 
I feel like James must be following our train of thought here and the way that our, our things is because I just looked up what that word religion means. And it's the word here is ceremonial observance or it says religious worship, especially external, that which consists of ceremonies, religious discipline. So really, this is an action. He's saying pure right. actions, pure, yeah. pure things done for God and undefiled before him is to visit this. So really this segues us perfectly into our next topic, which Joe, I I believe you were going to lead us on about faith and works. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to talk about faith without work. James chapter two, verse 14. What doth it profit my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and have not works, can faith save him? Faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Mm -hmm. Uh, James talked about if a brother or sister be naked, and destitute of food, and one of you say to them, you know, depart in peace, be warm and filled, might even pray for them, but you don't give them what they need. You know, your faith is not really faith. Yeah. It's just words. Yes. Faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. You know, the idea of, uh, which is really, really weird to me, but there's doctrines out there, you know, maybe, the, I don't know if we're allowed to name or not, the Baptists mm. have this you know, the doctrine of they're against the word works, uh, you know, or yeah. every everything to them that, that that's an action is works. Well, you know, I'm sorry, but if you have a problem with equating, you know, faith to works, uh, this is biblical. Yeah. You know, James was very clear on this, that mm-hmm. you can say that you have faith, but if your works don't follow up with that, you don't have faith. Yeah. And I would just say, say this, too, that, you know, having faith is... Having faith is not like some some state of mind, like I have faith in, in Jesus, or like I believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. In fact, James said in, in, chap, in verse 19 here, Thou believest that there is one God that doest well. The devils believe also and tremble. Mm-hmm. And then he repeats himself, Faith without works is dead. Yeah. He said, Was not Abraham... Our father justified by works uh, when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? You know, sometimes people, you know, the Bible says that it's that it's by grace we are saved through faith, uh, not of our own works, lest you know, not of ourselves, lest any man should boast. And and so people take that verse and run with it and say, oh, there's absolutely nothing that we can do to be saved because it's not by works that we're saved i would say that it's by obedience to god's word that we're saved yes and in in fact i know it is because romans chapter 6 i believe verse 16 i'd have to go back and look 16 or 17 says god be thanked that you have obeyed that form of Mm -hmm. doctrine which was delivered to you that you have obeyed being obedient to god's word is not coming up with our own works to be saved Mm. come on so when so when when the Bible talks about not being saved by works, that's not coming up with our own works of righteousness that we do uh, that saves us. It's by obeying God's word, um, like being born again, for example. That's not a work in the sense of that we came up with this on our own. But if you call that a work, then right. then sure, I guess, you know, if getting baptized is a work, well, it's required in Scripture for us to be baptized. We can <laughs> say that we have faith, but... You know, if we're not doing right. what the Bible teaches, if we're not doing, you know, if we're not even doing what it takes to, to get saved, to be born again, you know, then we really don't have faith. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's all just a bunch of words. Right. 
uh, our faith better, better, or our, our actions better match our faith. Mark chapter 16, you know, the end of Mark chapter 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Mm-hmm. He that believeth not shall be damned. So having faith is, uh, we're saved by grace through faith. Yep. And faith without works is dead. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, uh, there's no way around it that, that there are things that are required on our part. And so for people to, to say that, oh, you know, we're, we don't like that word works. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I guess I get what you're saying mm. because, you know, like the Catholics have taken it way, you know, they've taken yeah. it extreme the other way to where it has nothing to do with the blood of Jesus. Even, yeah. you know, it's just like we're buying our salvation and stuff. Now that's works. That's wrong. Yeah. You yeah. know, that's not biblical works. True. You know, I, I, uh, I gave an analogy right. for this one time that, you know, we, there's a, there's a specific na- analogy that we always hear, you know, about if you need a, a, a medicine to be healed or whatever. But one of them that, that I came up with was, you know, some you're driving along and all of a sudden your vehicle breaks down in front of my house or runs out of gas in front of my house. And, and you come up to the door and you knock on the door and you ask me, Hey, do you have any gas? And I say, yeah, there's some in the shed back there in the, in the gas can, just go back and grab it. And you have faith of what I just said is true that I have gas and you go and you basically, you get back into your car. You ain't going nowhere unless you go back to my shed and you grab my gas can and you go and put it into your car. You ain't going to go anywhere. Right. This is the exactly. same thing with the faith in God. You know, unless you do what Absolutely. he says you need to do, you're not going to go anywhere. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sound like King Josiah. <laughs> Heard it. Right. And then he did something about it. So, so many times people are trying to compete the two together. Mm. Faith faith versus works when really god never intended it to be separate you know, like they would just work together yeah. they work together so well True. why would you separate right it, it, it doesn't make any sense at, you know the hall of faith hebrews chapter 11 by faith people did mm-hmm. stuff. yeah <laughs> you know by mm-hmm. faith abraham left his country yeah. by faith Moses, you know, chose to suffer affliction with God's people rather than choosing the, you know, the pleasure of sin for a season. By faith, by faith, they did this. And by faith, they moved. Faith causes us to move. Faith causes us to do something about it. And that's, that's what James is saying. You say you got faith. He said, I will show you my faith by my works. Yes. <laughs> yeah. That's what he said. Absolutely. Faith yep, is something you see. Absolutely right. No, you know, it goes back to remember what we talked about a couple of weeks ago when Jesus saw oh, their yeah. faith. These men had faith that Jesus could yep. heal their friend. Mm-hmm. So what did they do about it? They left their friend laying wherever he was, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're gonna we're gonna jump over into chapter three and chapter five, but we're gonna kinda combine these last two for sake of time. Joe had to leave. Uh, he had church tonight, so he had to leave early. So it's just Anthony and I now will finish this episode off. So, Anthony, let's let's go in and we're going to talk about the tongue and fervent prayer. Yeah. OK. One of the things that really popped out to me this week was really the power that is in the tongue. Let's go to James three. Here's what he says about it. In verse 5, even so the tongue is a little member and it boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And it is set on fire of hell. And then he goes down in verse 8. He says, mm-hmm. tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil. 
full of deadly poison. And then he also says, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be. It's just, he goes on and on. And you can yeah. probably find some other scriptures in this week's reading. There's actually a lot in Proverbs that I could talk about. Proverbs 10 through 12. There was mentioned many times the power of mm-hmm. your speech, the power of the tongue. It's incredibly power. When you think of how God yes. created the universe, he spoke the world into existence and we can touch heaven by the power of our voice the power of our tongue so there, there's so much power yeah no <laughs> I no i feel like i'm just throwing that word around but truly when you think of it the power of the tongue you like somebody can be having a bad mm-hmm. day and you just say something to them that's super positive that's uplifting yeah. and suddenly things turn around and then at the same time on the flip side you can be having a great day and then all of a sudden your boss walks by you yeah. and he starts chewing yeah. you out and he <laughs> fires you with his words. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're not having a good day. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, there's tons of power in the tongue, in, in our words. And really James is, I think he's trying to do a little bit of correction possibly, maybe kind of bring it out into the open, maybe shine a little light on it. Because I suppose people in those days are exactly the same as they are now. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they get their foot in their mouth. They say things they shouldn't Guilty. say. Maybe they, <laughs> uh, yeah. you know, we've all been there. Yeah, we've, we've totally all been there. But yeah, there's so much power. And when we use our words and our tongue for the wrong things, God's displeased with that. Second Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes this. Now, then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead be reconciled to God. So really our top priority as ambassadors is to draw people closer to God. So are our words helping Mm -hmm. that or are they hurting our ability to do that? Yeah, which, you know, that kind of goes in with that verse nine there in James three, you know, says therewith bless we God, even the father. So like, you know, you can, before everybody, you're blessing God, you're, you know, saying how awesome he is, how great he is. And therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. You know, that's where he's talking about, can a fountain bring forth both sweet water and bitter water at the same time? You know, it's not supposed to be like that. You know, that's something that really, I don't know about you, Anthony, but that's something that I've had to work on myself is making Mm. sure that this tongue of mine, this unruly fire in my mouth blesses people. As you were saying, you know, our our words, do they help or do they hinder our ability to be ambassadors for Christ? This, This tongue, this unruly evil, sometimes I, I feel, I wish I could just cut it out, you know, I mean... As it said, what did it say? If your right eye offend thee, pluck it out. Well, you know, if your tongue is offending you, just cut it out. I mean, listener, if you're doing it, please do not. <laughs> please don't go after this and just lop off your tongue. You know, yeah, don't try this at home. This is just, don't try this you know, but this is stuff that we need to work on. We need to get a hold of our mouth to make sure that what we say about people isn't contradicting to what we're trying to show them about Christ. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Proverbs 10, 20, and 21. The tongue of the just is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is little worth. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools mm-hmm. die for want of wisdom. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. The lips of the righteous feed many. That's beautiful. I, I think of just the other day, and, and this might not be the case when you're listening to this, but mm-hmm. um, there was riots in, of course, Minneapolis. And, and I think of all the tragedy and all the yeah. chaos 
and all the anger. And then in the midst of it, I found out that I yes. believe it was evangelist brother Victor Jackson. Sorry if I name dropped, but, and there was, there was a video of him, mm -hmm. of him just praying, praying with the people. Just the Bible says, lips of the righteous feed many. All of a sudden they were, they were hurting. They were, they felt hopeless. They they were confused. They didn't know what to do. And then this man started praying for them. And, and I just believe that hope is coming yes. out of, you know, those prayers and, and all of a sudden to where there was death, there was nothing there now. Yeah. Yeah. Which, you know, that's, that's the, that. the perfect segue into this last segment about fervent prayer. Chapter five, verse 13 and on, it says, is any among you afflicted? Let him pray. Is any Mary? Let him sing Psalms. Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another, that ye may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It continues on, and Elias, Elijah, was a man subject to like passions as we are. He was like us. And yeah. he prayed earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not for three and a half years. And then he prayed again and the heavens gave rain and the earth brought forth her fruit. You know, he's, he really, he, he really hits this home here with this last thing is, is all about prayer and how our prayer yeah. has so much power. The fact that Elijah, one man, Yes, a, a very powerful man in God, granted, you know, he was one of the most powerful prophets, is going to come back, as we spoke about, I believe it was last week. But he was able to stop yeah. the rain. God gave him the ability to stop the rain simply by praying that it stopped. And then to reverse that simply by praying that it start again. I mean, prayer, Proverbs says that life and death is in the power of the tongue. We're talking about the tongue here and, and how, and so your prayers. Yes, listeners your prayer is so powerful don't discount it you know some people will will be like well you know i'm not i'm not brother stone king i'm not brother bernard i'm not uh <laughs> you know yep. whomever name 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 the the man of god that you look up to your pastor whoever you might say i'm not that person but understand is that god can and will use any prayer especially if it's a faithful prayer a faith-filled prayer i should say you know one thing that i i've told our church sometimes i i usually have been the one that leads prayer lately or corporate prayer and one thing that i've told the congregation is that you need to ask god if it's something miraculous like you need to see the blind eyes healed in the house tonight whatever it is you need to ask God for the gift of faith, you know, faith without works. Again, you know, you can't just have that faith and then not go forward and pray for the person. Ask for the gift of faith so that the prayers that you mm -hmm. pray will be the effectual fervent that it talks about here that avails much, that does a whole lot in just a simple sentence. You know, Elijah spoke 66 words and translated to English, 66 words and brought fire out of heaven. What can your voice do? What can your prayer do? Yeah, it's something that... I think I think mm. our generation as a whole struggles with just because I think our I don't know if it's our, our mm. short attention span maybe maybe that's part of it but if you really want a powerful ministry if you really want a powerful mm -hmm. walk with God it has to begin with prayer there there's no shortcut there, there truly is no shortcut. It starts with a relationship with God. It starts with using your voice, lifting up, you know, mm -hmm. God with praise and entering into his yes. presence and having a conversation with him. Honestly, our prayers reflect our relationship with God. You know, I always kind of, I kind of scratch my head sometimes because it's like, and, and I used to be that mm -hmm. way where yeah. it's like, uh, wait, you want me to pray? <laughs> 
<laughs> you know, hey, would you lead us in yeah. prayer? Or would you pray over the food? It's like, oh, me? Oh, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. Well, you talk all the time. How can you not How can you not pray? Like, what's yeah. the difference here? Other than God can hear you. <laughs> like, no matter where you are, you know, he's no further than the mention of his name. So, yeah, I, w- I would say the number one thing, if you're going to build any kind of discipline, yes. Yes. build a discipline you know, prayer life. One thing that I loved about what you said there, is that you you use the word conversation, having a conversation with God. You know, it's it's really not one-sided. Granted, you know, he's not, he might not, he may, but he might not speak out of the heavens, you know, in answer to your prayer. But that's where, you know, like Bible reading comes in. I know I know, I, I do my best to, to pray and then yes. read scripture, and then I go and pray again, because a lot of the times that what I read deals with what I'm praying about. You know, and it's not even it's not even me like, OK, I, you know, I need to I'm I'm going through a trial, so I'm going to go read Job. You know, sometimes that works, but a lot of times it's just I'm just following either the bread chart in the morning or I'm following the the Grant Horner yeah. Bible reading. And, you know, I'll be praying. I'm like, God, I need I need your answer on this. And then I'll sure. open the word. And sure enough, three chapters in all of a sudden it's like, here it is. Here's the answer to your prayer. God is speaking to you through the scripture. And it's like, wow, thank you, Lord. And then, you know, then I go back and begin to pray again and it's a conversation it's not one-sided absolutely half half the battle yeah. is just showing up to dinner you know what i mean like yeah you you, yeah. you can't get you know, fed it, if you don't um, go to the one table. book that is amazing um i'm sure you've you've probably seen of it or maybe read it but is em em bounds the it's his initials em bounds on prayer it's like a seven there's seven books in one and he writes he basically his entire thing is is about prayer the different Mm. aspects of prayer it's a it's an amazing book but one of the things that one of the men that he describes in there about their prayer life is that talking about the faithful fervency is that the man's prayer was so deep it wasn't it wasn't so about filled with a whole bunch of these and thous and all that all that extra stuff you know yeah you can use it if you want but you know talk with god like you're talking with a friend you know granted have respect because he is the king of kings he is god you know he he could speak you out of existence if he really wanted to so have respect but speak to him like a friend speak to him like you would your dad speak to him like you would your father or your father figure or whoever you have but one thing that he mentions is there is this man's prayer like he he got down and started praying and everybody that was around him stopped because of how seemingly comfortable he was talking with God. It wasn't it wasn't this big robotic prayer. It was a conversation. It was him talking like he was talking with his dad. And it's a great book. If you can go find it, find it. Um, like I say, there's like seven books in one, but it's E.M. Bounds on Prayer is the name of the book. It's like pink. It is a Check good resource. Well, listeners, again, I'd like to apologize for the for the way that this this episode kind of was uh like i say we had some scheduling difficulties this week for all of us has been kind of hectic a little rough uh so keep us in your prayers if you would uh, if you made it this far we thank you if there's something that as you read this week that jumps out to you and we didn't cover it you know or if you have any words of advice or any words of encouragement please let us know you can do so by sending us a voice message through anchor.fm and if you do we might actually use it on the show 
So that can get your voice out there if that's what you want to do. I don't know. Or if you don't want to, just tell us and then we'll we'll just listen to it ourselves. But anyways, <laughs> uh, or you could reach out to us through our Scripture Unleashed Facebook page. We post <laughs> weekly about, you know, what episodes are coming up. I believe Anthony started posting about, you know, asking what your favorite scripture is and things like that. So stay tuned for those kind of things. But we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. And we really do look forward to having you with us next week. As we go through Micah chapters 1 through 7, we'll go through Nahum chapters 1 through 3, we'll go through Habakkuk chapters 1 through 3, we'll go through Zephaniah chapters 1 through 3. Basically, we'll read Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, we'll read the whole, all three, we'll read <laughs> half of the book of, Pro, of Philippians uh, verses 1 and 2, and then we will read Proverbs chapters 13 through 15. So God bless. Thank you for listening. This has been Scripture Unleashed.